everybody. This is John with Ubaldi Reports. With me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Bitts. And just for those who are listening for the first time, both Joe and myself were combat enlisted Marines. Both of us were retired. I retired after 30 years, three combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan. Joe retired after 10 years after he was medically discharged from being wounded in Iraq when he stepped on an IED. So it's always great to have Joe's insight and knowledge of a lot of things. He keeps me balanced and keeps me on track. So- and just the audience needs to know if they don't start liking or commenting on our podcast, we're going to come over there and we're going to mess you up. All right. Because it's about time we're a little 80 plus episodes into this game. And have we even gotten an no, email I yet? It for me. I get comments on some of the podcasts I post on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm getting a lot of responses on Twitter. I'm not Twitter. On Instagram. Mm-hmm. A lot more have responded. Though. So we're getting some response that way. Well, also, let's talk about the Heroes Media Group. Oh, yeah. Just to let everybody know, we were our podcast, Ubaldi Report, was put on Heroes Media Group. Heroes Media Group is a veteran-owned company, and they have about 30 different podcasts yeah. from first responders, from various veterans, and we're on that group. And they get about 2 million downloads across all their platforms. So if we can get some of that. It's not just some of that. We're like, hey, thank you for listening. If you're listening, yeah. if you're listening from the Heroes Media Group, we really appreciate you listening. Maybe you, other than our other subscribers, can drop us an email, drop us a comment of some sort. But, but, but the thing is, I'm honored that Heroes Media Group, they like what we had. They really liked that we're fact, not fiction. We have our little niche. And I'm just an honor to be on Heroes Media Group, especially when it's owned by a veteran. Last week, the house is getting together for a lot of things. One of them is was for the stimulus. The other one is for a voting bill. They passed a voting bill last Wednesday, HR1. Okay. And what does that enti- entail? HR1 was a Democratic basically wish list of what they wanted to do. They say it to the public that this is will fix what happened during the 2020 election. But not the way you think. But definitely not the way you think. Okay. And what they and people need to understand, voting this is only like on the presidential level. The section 2 of the US Constitution is explicit. This bill basically would, is unconstitutional because in section 2 of the US Constitution states set the rules for president, not the federal government. And what HR1 does, it's a Evisicates state voting laws, forces all states to, to one set of rules. That right there violates the U.S. Constitution. Each state can set the rules the way they set. Okay. And then the other thing they have in there is non-citizens can, are able to opt out, but there's no penalties for them opting out. Now, the reason that's a big issue in California, New York, and other states and cities, they're allowing non-citizens to vote in local elections. How would this change if it was in a national election? They want to ban state voter ID requirements. So basically, if you show up to vote, you're not required to show any proof of identification. Okay. So like a driver's license or anything like that. And it's ironic on that. You can vote without proving who you are, but you can't cash a check. You can't get on a plane without showing a valid driver's license, passport, or any identification to get on a plane. But you can go vote. That doesn't really make sense. Now, does this need simple majority to pass? It passed by majority, yes. But to get to the Senate, it needs 60 votes. Oh, okay. They passed it once before 
in uh, 2019, and the Republicans used the filibuster to prevent its passage in the Senate. It didn't go anywhere. In the- All right, I'm still, how does the filibuster work? Because I know it's just like them maybe up on that podium for a few hours telling them. You, basically what you have is correct. But is it, are you trying still trying to convince people not to vote for it at the end? Or no, you're just it- trying to, the filibuster has been around, I think almost since the country was founded. What it's used for, it gives the minority a chance to, win concessions from the majority. If they're without the filibuster, things would go through. The majority can do what it wants, and Mm -hmm. it can trample on the minority's rights. So this way, it also forces the parties to work together. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. The Democrats want to abolish the, the filibuster. James Clyburn, the congressman from South Carolina, who actually saved Joe Biden's presidential campaign during 2020, he said this is a relic of the Jim Crow era laws. It's, yeah. Okay. It's interesting that in 2005, when the Republicans, I don't know how serious they were, were thinking about ending the filibuster, Barack Obama, when he was Senator Obama from Illinois, he stated that this is undemocratic. You can't do this. We need this. And he did everything he could to fight against support it. Now, all of a sudden, he's against it because it goes against the Democrats. I know. And going more into more into this bill, we should talk about how do you feel about 16 year olds? That's the other thing. Yeah, Yeah. How do you feel about them controlling the outcome of an election? The thing is. 16-year-olds, okay, they want 16-year-olds to vote. What it does is give more voters that are going to align themselves with the Democrats. So a 16-year-old, okay, let's take a look at that. They can't own a fire. They can't do, as far as I know, they can't own a firearm. I do want to go back on that real quick because I believe that it's still maybe 50-50 with who tends to be Republican and Democrat because they're still close to that family. So those family members are still going to be preaching their kind of party. And I think that's true. But I also go back to is a 16 year old capable of doing certain things. You have a daughter that (laughs) was 16. Was she capable of think about it? You can they want you to vote, but there's a lot of things you can't do until you're 18 and you can't do a lot of things until you're 21. All right. I'm a little bit different. My daughter, she wrote a bill for the state of South Carolina to try to get it passed for high school when she was 17. It's just to let you know, Matt, Joe's daughter is very smart, very educated, but there's a lot. I'm not saying all 16-year-olds aren't educated. But, but the majority of them aren't. But they're, they're, <laughs> they're mainly influenced. They don't grasp some of the complexities. But then there's a lot of the other things. You can't really own a handgun until you're 21. No. You, but you're going to allow them to vote? It's just it's just a crass way of swinging the elections your way. John, they can't even smoke cigarettes now until they're 21. You can't buy alcohol yeah. until you're 21. You know, the only thing that you could do when you're 18 is you can drive and you can watch porn. Other than that... Thank you for putting that hey, well, Hey, the listeners need to know. But So you're going to expose somebody that young. And I don't think... I think, like, the rule should be is, like... 18 is a good way to do it because you can enlist into the armed services at that age. And I believe that if you fight for this country or if you serve this country, then you get the right to vote. That should be like the, the benchmark. No, for that. I would agree. Yeah. Now, there's other things that are involved in this that to me are really scary. One, they would allow political organizations to help residents fill out their ballots and then submit those ballots for um to be to be counted. Now think about this. Political organizations going around 
collecting your ballot, and then you're gonna they're gonna allow them to take your ballot to to turn in. What if you're supporting the other party? So then the other issues are when it comes to dark money. Okay, what's dark money? Dark money is the campaign contributions that come from different organizations that they don't have to disclose their their political. The, those who engage in political activity have to disclose who they are and everything about them. Now, okay, but now think about this. They complain about dark money, just like Senator Whitehouse, I think of Rhode Island, always is big on that. Your The other side's dark money. If this was going to be a, a purely voter rights act, then it should be bipartisan. Yeah. Because when they look at campaign laws, your campaign contributions are bad, but mine are good. So if that's the case, you want to all political, those involved in political activity must reveal who they are. Does that include all unions? They get a lot of millions of yeah. money. And the unions were the ones that got screwed on this deal, too. I don't know about that, but if you're going to go after the other side's money, you better look at your side's money. And when I say unions, unions always back up Democrats. But yet, as soon as the Democratic president was in office the first day, he killed 40,000 union jobs. But look at George Soros. Let's see all the donations that he gets. Okay. So I did have a question slash maybe scenario, and I want you to tell me if it's legal or not. Okay. So say Jeff Bezos, he has Amazon, he has control, he has Washington Post, but that, but he also has the money to maybe share. So he has all these people on Amazon. He says, Hey, for everybody that maybe registers as a Democrat, we'll get a $5 coupon. From Amazon. Think, is that legal or not? I think that's vote, vote buying. I think it's, I think that would be illegal. So and I'm not an expert okay. on campaign, but I would think that would be buying someone's vote. Hold on. Would Travis be somebody that might know that? Travis probably would because yeah. he's dealt with campaign finance laws. He may not be that, and he was an attorney. Well, he went to law school. He didn't take the bar, but he would know. Yeah, and Travis would probably be really good to introduce the Heroes Media Group. Yeah, that would be good. Going into... There are other things that came up this week. Yeah. We got the stimulus. That's okay. That's We've we talked about the voting rights. Yeah. The stimulus is going through. Now, They Kamala Harris just broke the tiebreaker to allow debate to be held. Now, what they're going to do is finish reading the full bill. This is by Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He wants the full 600-page bill to be read, and they're doing that as we speak, I believe. So she broke off and said, we're going to start to vote. 50-50, she broke the tie. So we'll see what happens by the early next week, by at least Monday, or at least today, we'll know for sure where we're at on that. Okay. So anything else we got going with the the voting bill or is there anything that we should be well, aware right of? Well, right now it's passed out of the House. It's on to the Senate. That's very dubious because even though the Republicans are in the minority, it's still 50-50. They are going to use the filibuster and you can end the filibuster if you get 60 senators to end it. Okay. You're not going to get 10 Republicans to cross over. So I think that's going to die right there. The only way that would change mm-hmm. if the Democrats, and they can, get rid of the filibuster. But Joe Manchin emphatically said, I am not voting no way, shape, or form to end the filibuster. And Kristen Sinema, Democratic senator from Arizona, said the same thing. Yeah, so also uh, in the stimulus you were talking about, did you hear about the $24 an hour minimum wage? I haven't heard about it in the stimulus, but I know Ocasio-Cortez suggested a $24. And that's that would kill every small business. 
My question to Casio Cortez, if I was you or let's say think she went to New York University. Yeah. If I was the chancellor of New York University, I would march my little butt down to her capital office and take her diploma off the wall <laughs> because she got an economics major with honors yeah. and also in international relations with honors. My question is, what the hell are you teaching your economic students when somebody can put out a proposal to help people who are in poverty to make $24 an hour? That's basically, I think that's equates to almost $24, $25. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Forty to $45,000 a year. So my buddy calls me on the phone. He's, where's the rest of this one point? Uh, 1.9 trillion dollars going other than us and he made a little bit of a faux pas he's if you have 360 million people you can give them each 300 or you can give them each a million dollars no that doesn't add up but no a lot of the money goes to we're we're going to help countries fight the coronavirus we're going to goes to abortion clinics help them out 350 billion goes to the states yeah. and a lot of these states don't need the money like California when it, the pandemic first happened it really everybody thought and even I was the same way thought it was going to hurt their budget the top 1% pay about half of all state finances for the state yeah so when the stock market dropped from the high of 30,000 at the time of the pandemic it dropped all the way to 18,000 then it went from 18,000 and it's around 31,000 now. Okay. So the wealthy, they don't get a W2 like the rest of us. They get a lot of their money through investments, stock options, dividends, real estate trend and all that stuff. That's where a lot of money was flooded into these states. So California is sitting on about a $17 trillion surplus. Yeah. The problem with that's great, but for the following year, the one group that got devastated the most are those that couldn't work from home. So a lot of the lower income, anybody making 45000 or less, they got just crushed. So going back into like my point was that just because if all of a sudden I give everybody in the country a million dollars, it doesn't really change that dynamic. You're like, wow, I got a million dollars. But guess what? You go to the gas station and you're paying $30 a gallon. But you go to the grocery store you're paying $30 for eggs. So what people are not understanding is that, sure, we can throw all this money at the situation, try to make it better, but it doesn't because living in a capitalistic society, we still will, if they can afford, if they can afford it, we're going to charge it to that. We're going to at least charge it to that minimum that they can afford Well, the other problem is on Thursday, the stock market came down 345 points. The reason it did, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, was very ambiguous about inflation. A lot of economists are nervous that by passing this, it's going to impact inflation. Like Larry Summers, who was the economic advisor to Bill Clinton, and then he chaired a senior position for excuse me, for Barack Obama, he was worried that spending $1.9 trillion would trigger inflation. If inflation goes up, the Federal Reserve would come in and act. And what they would do is, I know Jerome Powell said he's going to hold off raising interest rates for a couple years, but if the inflation starts to go up, he's going to be forced to raise the interest rates. So that means home price, home loans will be more expensive, car loans will be a little bit more expensive. Then here's the other thing. The interest on the debt goes up. So 
I think we pay about $300 billion a year to to finance our interest on the debt. If interest rates go up, that interest, the finance goes up. It could be to $400 billion and $500 billion. You know what? I'm not really complaining. The interest rate can go up all it really wants because guess what? I have the lowest interest rate I can get for my house as of now. And if it goes any lower, I'll be shocked. That means Biden's well, not in office anymore. And then it may benefit you yeah. because you've done everything before. But everybody going forward, we want the economy to grow. So if interest rate goes up, some people are going to rush to get a home just to keep those interest rates low. But if they keep going up, you're going to force fewer and fewer people to be able to buy that. So now you got fewer people trying to chase these home loans and a lot more are just going to be put down. And it really hurts the the poor because they are paying higher and higher prices to get basic commodities. Yeah. So let's maybe pivot a little bit. And I ask you, where is Biden? That's the thing that... On Thursday, Carl Rove, he was the political advisor to George W. Bush Jr. He put out a, a column, but he also spoke on uh, the show Outnumbered on Fox, and he talked about that. During the campaign, Joe Biden was hidden in the basement. The yep. media allowed him to get away without any hard-betting interviews. Now that he's president, he's allowing all his cabinet officials and then Jen Psaki to answer these questions. Yeah. Now, Kelly McEnany, who was the press spokesman for Donald Trump, she goes, the reason why Kelly Ma- Jen Psaki doesn't know a lot, she doesn't have, this is her belief, that he she doesn't have the access that she had. The reason why she, Jen Psaki always has to go back to get clarification is she's not in that inner circle where Kelly McEnany, she stated, anytime I wanted to walk into the president's office, I could walk in and get clarification. How awesome, especially... For uh, a woman, you can see the most important man in the country and in the world, more than likely. And you can walk in there and you'd be like, hey, what's going on with this? What's up with this? And it's just, I could just, it's almost like I could just call you up anytime and be like, hey, John, what do you think about this? What should I say about that? But see, that's, that's a smart way to do it because then when you're asked questions, what's going on, you know what the president's thinking. So Jen Psaki, and I've watched some of her press conferences, and she doesn't have a lot of answers. No. So then she contradicts what the president says. The president definitely contradicts her. Now, the problem with that, President Biden hasn't had a press conference, in, I think, in 45, 46 days. Okay. He's never had one. Yeah. And he's gone the longest in the modern era of not holding a press conference. Okay. Even Trump took 28 days, and he had... Let's go. And you remember his press conference, he was going at it with the press and they were going at it with him. So we've got some issues coming up. There's a problem on the southern border. There's unaccompanied minors. Those are 17 kids who are 17 years old or younger. Yeah. They're coming in. More people are coming across the border. We talked about in the last podcast or on the Ubaldi brief about immigration, how Mm -hmm. they just released 100 illegals out into the street or basically in Brownsville, who had COVID. Yeah. So the state said we don't have the authority to hold them. We have the, by the law says we've got to release them. So you're allowing individuals who are infected with COVID, COVID-19 out and they could travel all over the country. Yeah. But here's the question. If that turns into, and not a challenge, but a crisis, because that's what their Homeland Security Director said, it's a challenge. We want to hear from the president. Yeah. Oh, I think, and I think, Maybe the media has gotten used to doing that with Donald Trump. They always had him through Twitter. 
and they always had, and he was always doing his little press briefings before he's going to hop on to uh, Marine One or Air Force One. Yeah. So you got him all the time and you, but now it just seems, are we eventually going to see who's pulling the strings? Because we do understand that there is, Biden is having gaps. He's stuttering and stammering and he's not making sense when he does talk. And that's with a teleprompter in a small audience in a controlled environment. It's going to probably spell disaster his first time out there. They need to find a way to control that. But see, the longer you wait, if you have a cognitive decline, it doesn't get better by isolating yourself. Now, during the campaign, Donald Trump would go on every news program. And Mm -hmm. there was one. He went on Chris Wallace. He spoke for an hour. And even Chris Wallace said, and Chris Wallace was no fan of Donald Trump. And Chris Wallace had stated, we were able to ask him any questions. Everything was on the table, and a few things that were controversial came out of it. They extended the same policy to then-candidate Joe Biden, and he never came on. And even so far, he's been on, I think, just one hard bet in the issue, and that was Bill Maher. Hardly a—he's more of a—he's a comedian, not a journalist. Yeah. And the thing is, but the longer he waits, the rest of the world is sizing Joe Biden up. Yeah. They're looking out at all his nuances, what he does, what he thinks, how he acts, how he speaks, because they're going to have to deal with them. And we're seeing some problems in Iran, excuse me, in Iraq. They had missiles go out, you know, bases at al-Assad. More than likely, it's coming from Iran, Shiite militia groups. Mm-hmm. So you have that. You have problems with China. You have issues on the southern border. You have issues with Europe. You have the Iran nuclear deal. You have all the things with China's trying to do, the things with Russia. Even his, he put sanctions on Russia because the Russian government poisoned an opposition, really, Navalia. But he didn't do anything about Nord Stream 2. I know I talk about it routinely. This is the energy pipeline that goes from Russia to Germany. Germany's rebuked him. Andrea Merkel signed a deal with them to do for investments in China. So is there, well, is the transition of power still going on as we speak, even though Donald Trump's been out of office for a while? Because it seems like, I, and I think I called it a little bit prior to, even before we even thought Biden was going to win, was that, are they treating, is America or the people around, even like in, around the world, are they treating like America like the sleepy grandfather that can no longer, he has been kind of given custody or giving responsibility for these kids but yet they're able to do whatever they want because we know that grandpa is going to go to sleep at five o'clock that's the whole point the world is testing joe biden how he responds to these crises like he just bombed last week or the week and a half ago he sent military forces or airstrikes into iraq because against Iranian-backed uh, militias that targeted US ba- a U.S. base or mm-hmm. killed, I think it killed a contractor. So all these things are, he sends signals one, and he's been very soft on China on certain cases. He put sanctions on Russia, but he allowed Nord Stream 2 to go through. Here's another one. He's he attacked the Iranian militias in Iraq, but then he allowed South Korea to send over a billion dollars of frozen Iranian assets back to Iran. That doesn't, it's given an ambiguous signal of where he wants to go. Let's go back to the missile strike for a second. You said that he, there was a civilian contractor. I, I believe there was a civilian contractor and a few U.S. soldiers were wounded. Okay, so technically Biden has 
killed or maimed more Americans than Donald Trump. How would you say that? Because it was his missile strike that killed that contractor. No, the Iranian Shiite militias, the uh, the Iranian-backed militias Uh, killed the contractor, not uh, Joe Biden. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. But this is all being tested, so we'll see what happens. And then you've got all the stuff going on with the coronavirus. And there's another big point. We haven't heard from Joe Biden about the schools reopening. He's a, his, his wife's a teacher. He said, I'm going to be the teacher's union president. Where are we at on the schools? So eventually he can't hide much longer. He's going to have to get out and do a, an open press conference. Okay, and then it's just going to be pretty obvious what his current mental state is as we go in there. So why don't you go ahead and tell them how they can get a hold of us, John? You can get a hold of us by going to UbaldiReports, gmail.com. That's UbaldiReports at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and type in Ubaldi Reports. Or you can go to Facebook and go to Ubaldi Reports group and check us out there. But again, I just would like to let our listeners know you can find Ubaldi Reports on the Heroes Media Group. Also, our new listeners, yes, you are probably hearing us right now on Heroes Media Group. Get those emails rolling. We'll read them out there. On our other platforms, let us know what you think. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. We love the interaction, and we will talk to you guys soon. Yeah, keep listening to Ubaldi Reports and let your friends and family know. And again, this podcast is put together by two combat retired Marines from Iraq and Afghanistan. So until next time, keep listening to Ubaldi Reports.